Hello everyone, welcome to Rockin' All Week with you, a Happy Days podcast, Season 3, Episode 6, overall Episode 26. I'm your host Dan, hello, how have you all been? I, I hope you're all safe and well. In this episode, we are we are hitting at the end of it, we hit the halfway point of Season 3, yeah. We are talking three on a porch, Fonzie's new friend, and we are beginning with Three on a Porch, November 18th, 1975. This one is written by Bobby Boswell and Tiffany York, directed, of course, by Jerry Paris. Here's a little bit of this, and then we'll come back talk about the episode. I walk the night without a goal, stripped of my heart. What now, my love? Now that it is over, I feel the world closing in on me. Here come the stars tumbling around me. So it is mainly about Richie Pozzi and Ralph Malf uh, renting a space in a cabin in the woods during Easter weekend. Note that it begins with the Fonz pulling out of the Cunningham's driveway, and then we see him a few moments later talking to the guys. I want you to keep that in mind. Three on a Porch is uh, directed by Jerry Paris, written by Bobby Boswell, who had written, he wrote uh, A Star is Bored, where the Fonz does Shakespeare from the previous season. The previous season, right? It was the previous season. I'd forgotten there for a second. And Tiffany York, uh, who apparently wrote a Welcome Back Cotter, but I can't find her name written under anything else. There is a Bobby Boswell who's a, a football slash soccer player. Not the same guy. So so this is one of those weird episodes. And this, come, this would come up occasionally in sitcoms where you get two names and you're like, who are these people? And you, you look for me like, I don't know. Like they just, like I've, I've, spend decades trying to break into being able to write for a, a sitcom or a drama or something and and these people kind of showed up wrote for them like this isn't for me and then they left it's like oh, okay yeah that's great hey congrats more power to you regardless this episode's plot is pretty straightforward it's Easter weekend, which means that, yeah, we have jumped ahead. I mean, in the last episode, we were uh, at right around Valentine's Day. And and I thought that was like three, four, five months ahead after, you know, um, the Howard's 45th fiasco and, and such like that. Um, so we are, geez, I don't know. Where we, are we in 1959? Is this 1959 um, Easter time or 1950? I don't even remember now. At this point, I think I need to stop and regroup. There is a regroup episode coming up in a few... Um, uh, well, there's a regroup episode of this show that will contain a regroup episode of Happy Days. 
um, coming up in like what, like one, two, three, four episodes. So four episodes of the show, two episodes of this. So in two episodes, hopefully I'll be able to sit down and take a deep breath and figure out what the heck is going on with Happy Days right now. But we're apparently at Easter. We've hopped several months ahead of where we were with Howard's 45th fiasco. And I, I guess are we at Easter 59? I don't know. Um, but I'm going to I'm gonna uh, give a shout out right here and say, yeah, I don't know where we are. Okay, continue. So it's Easter weekend, apparently. Uh, now, I grew up going to Catholic grammar school, and we got Good Friday off. Um, I don't remember us getting the Monday off after Easter, but we might have. So, so Easter vacation is just, to me, a three-day weekend. Although when I hit high school, I didn't even think it was a three-day weekend. Um, so maybe it was. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I'll, I will call it a three-day weekend. So it doesn't, doesn't strike me as a vacation, a three-day weekend. But, you know, the guys are who the guys are. So uh, Richie Potsy and Ralph are um, disturbed by the fact that they don't have gals and they're not going to be able to go anywhere for Easter weekend. Um, the Fawn shows up and says, hey, um, grab a phone book, call Lake Whitefish. They'll rent you a cabin. They call Lake Whitefish. Richie pretends to be an older gentleman because he doesn't think they'll rent to 17-year-olds. They are rented the front of a cabin, $75 each. Uh, Richie can't get the money. Ralph can't get the money. Potsy can. We'll talk about that in a moment. They do a little auction of all their stuff. And with the help of the Fonz, who does a little kiss me for a dollar kind of thing, they get the uh, 250 bucks they need. And they go to the cabin. And they discover that the front of the cabin means the porch of the cabin. That's why it's called Three on a Porch. So they're spending the weekend on the porch, although we only spend the first evening with them on the porch in the episode. And there are three young ladies, uh, and I think they're, what are their names? It's, it's, um, it's Marsha, Linda, and Karen, played by, um, uh, let's see, uh, Ann Lockhart, Robin Matson, and Diane Harper, who are the women inside, who refer to them as boys all the time, although having looked them up, at least um, two of them were the same ages as the guys and one of them may have been close to the age so so boys is a we're pushing it we're pushing it but it's a fun outdoor set with trees in the front of a cabin it's great because you have the illusion of a cabin without a cabin and so so that's sort of the premise is they arrive there and they discover that they have to stay on the porch there are these three hot gals inside and so what do they do Okay, I'm going to stop talking about this um, storyline right now, um, and I'm going to di dive into the episode. It's The great thing about this one is that it's really straightforward. Now, I'm sure when I say Three on a Porch, Three on a Porch is the title. I instantly think of Three on a Couch, the late 60s or mid to late 60s Jerry Lewis film. Um, there's probably something else that goes with that. I'll, I'll be back later in the episode with whatever that is, but... Um, Three on a three in a boat, three on a ship, three in your hair. I don't know, um, but three on a porch. Yeah, it's these three goofballs uh, on the porch together. And and the joy of this episode is that it's pure out funny. There's no lesson to be learned. Mister C doesn't judge them for wanting to go and for this weekend and try to pick up girls. Mrs. C doesn't care. Jeez, Joni isn't in this episode. That didn't occur to me. I don't remember seeing Joni in this episode. She might, may have shown it for a second. But yeah, Joni, I don't think, is in this episode. Huh. Well, you know, that happens. She, she really doesn't have anything to do with sort of the bulk of the episode. Um, 
and it's great because um it's so sitcommy that it's weird so i think that what the you think the episode is doing isn't what the episode is doing I think the episode has something else it's doing, and this is related to what I said at the start of my uh, yammering here. Um, Ralph Potsy and Richie are lots of fun when Richie pretends to be an older gentleman. Hello, I'm a businessman from Milwaukee, and I'm interested in renting um, the do do do. And like the moment that they get it, they get the um, they get the the um, uh, space at the front of the cabin, and they're in, they're in the the men's room at Arnold's. Where, where is Arnold? And and suddenly the um you know Ralph and Potsy leap all around and throw paper towels in the air, and they're everywhere and stuff like that. And, and Arnold apparently lets them like take apart the booths um it's 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 there's there's a kind of a weird moment where like um it cuts to a shot where you get that standard shot of like the booths where there should be a wall but now there's a standard shot and the booths have moved and we've seen the booth booths booth moves booth booths move booths move before in the fearless fonzarelli um, but this time they've been moved and a, um, a bo- uh, tables are set up and people are doing like an auction buying stuff off the tables. The weird thing is there is one guy, look at the start of the scene, over to the left, the guy with this sort of uh, pink, violet, purple, light purple, I don't know what the hell color that is, shirt. But he is actually on this side, like our side, the camera side of the tables which means he's standing within the wall now i know there are certain supervillains and superheroes i'm sure one of the x-men slash x-women can do that maybe the absorbing man can do something like that but that guy shouldn't be right there he shouldn't be at that space and um having said that though the uh, the auction scene is fun there's a lot of jokes about milton burrell uh milt uncle milty tie and um and then the fawn shows up and has them all, all the gals line up a dollar a kiss, which is great. Be, uh, it's, it's fun too at the beginning when like the fawn joins them and says, "Well, go to Lake Whitefish." Oh, but don't be yourself. Do not be yourself. And the guy says, "Oh yeah, we won't be ourselves. Maybe we can be like you, fawns." And the fawn's like, "Whoa, you gotta walk before you can run." And it's fun because the, the fawn's kind of jumps in and out of this episode like a weird. Um, I don't know, not not quite like say like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the book in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but sort of this weird thing, uh, this element that like the three guys are doing the, the the main stuff, and just like Fawn shows up every once in a while, you know, when Richie is leaving uh, to go, Mister C, you know, uh, Richie's like, okay, Dad, I know you're gonna tell me to have fun, but not too much fun, and then Rich, and then the Fawn shows up and like Richie, go out there and have more fun than you've ever had in your life, and it's these weird, wonderful moments, and Mrs. C gives gives Richie, I'm um, like, you're all grown up now, Richie, and then. Gives here's your lunch and then here you go here's your thermos for your day at work Fonzie and I'm, I'm making it sound like she's a thousand years old but no Mrs. C is hot we all know that come on Mr. C yeah so um, it, yeah it's so so then it's, it's an interesting episode because it's really straightforward and to me there are times when it's over sitcom-y um uh, they're, they're stuff on the phone and they're pretending to be foreign. Like they meet the gals and they don't say anything. And like, well, how do we impress the gals? Well, Ch- Charles Boyer, what is he? he uh, how does this sort of, you know, middle-aged, 
guy get the gals? Because he's foreign. So they pretend to be Tunisian camel jockeys. Eh, there you go. And uh, and at one point, someone someone says something like, uh, "Have you?" Uh, one of the gals says, "Well, you have, have you ever seen a Tunisian camel jockey with red hair and freckles?" Oh, you're so racist. So they're like, they they know what they're doing. They they know this is sitcom goofing, and they know. It's funny because there are times when you watch the show when it feels like it is taking a mid seventies look back at like what a fifties sitcom might be, and then there's some episodes like this one which. Apart from the ending, apart from my theory about the episode, uh, uh, most of the episode just seems to be a 50s sitcom episode. You know, the, you know, David and Ricky might have gotten to something like this. You know, did they have uh, Lumpy or, or, or Eddie Haskell? I don't know. You know, I don't think the Beav, Beav and Wally would have gotten to something like this. But, you know, it, this is something like where, you know, in the 50s, uh, Bud from Father Knows Best, and maybe he, did he have a best friend? I don't know. He would have gotten something like this. They would have gotten some sort of shenanigans like this. And um, maybe with not as not as much making out, maybe, but they would have got into something like this. And I think that's that's part of the joy of this episode is it's fun. Yes, is it over the top? Yes, and I think that's something that we're going to have to deal with as we go along. I've I've you know in the in the past in the past week in between the last episode and this one, I've I've seen like some folks talking about Happy Days and like uh, um, oh the the first two seasons were the best. The other ones, uh, someone keep, keep keeps calling uh, it after after the first two seasons it became the Fawn Show. Not really. I think um, I think I think I can you know I can prove. <laughs> It didn't become the Fawn Show. By the way, I'm talking about it. D- is it the Fawn Show right here? Well, it isn't in this episode, certainly, in one respect. And um, it may have been in the past. No, well, a date with Fonzie was actually more Richie. It's actually more Richie and like Ron Howard and Cindy Williams meeting up. And how is 45th fiasco? It's more, um, yeah. No, the, Fo- the Fawn shows up and he makes his mark. But... Um, He's just, he's a main character now, as opposed to what he was. So to say this has become the Fawn Show, one, I think is ridiculous for what we've seen so far. Now, now we've still got more to go. You know, this isn't, the next season is the show, is the season where the show is at number one. This is the season where the show is building a building and is so strong that it can sort of immediately um, warrant a um, spinoff. I don't think it's the Fonz show yet. Huh? I mean, we've had Fonz heavy episodes, but I think everyone else is involved with the Fonz. And here's the thing: like, if the Fonz is a popular character, you got to go with that. I mean, why on earth? If you had a show that was fairly popular in its first season, then its second season the ratings dropped, but there was one character that the people seemed to like, and then the third season you bolstered that character, and suddenly the ratings went. Why wouldn't you follow that character? I mean, it's funny. People who say it's the Fonz show. Did you not see the first two seasons when it was mostly the Richie show? So now it's the Fonz show. Who cares? I, I don't understand how that how that's valid. You know, it's called Happy Days. It's meant to be a broad overview of this time period of these folks, of what they're up to. So there are going to be time, you know, um, Joni and Chachi. We'll take a large part in the show right now. Joni isn't in this episode. You know, uh, uh, Roger will have a large part. Jenny Piccolo 
will have a large part. Laurie Beth, you know, all these characters will have large parts in the show as we go along. And to to denigrate the show from becoming the Fonz show means that you're saying that you thought the show shouldn't have gone more than the two or three seasons. And um, that's your choice. That's your call. I understand, like, the first two seasons were a very separate thing, kind of a very special thing. But um, so far, the third season has been a funnier thing, I think. Not as special, but I think funnier. I mean, this is a funny episode. Is it dumb? Mm, yeah, it's kind of dumb here and there. Is it too sitcom-y? Oh, yeah, definitely. But does it have a weird sort of twist, which... Not a twist, but... No, it's not a twist, because a twist is something where, like, I didn't see that coming. Whereas this, if you're actually... If you, like me, have watched this episode eight times, you're like, oh, wait, there. So, yeah, I mean, the the guys are fun in it. The gals are fun in it. Like I said, you, you get, um, it's, uh, uh, the gals are Marsha, Linda, Karen. And they, like I said, they, they don't look much older than the guys do. They just happen to be able to rent the cabin. And I think from the sleazy guy who runs the place who rented them the porch, I get the feeling that it was he rented the gals the cabin, then thought, can I rent some doofuses the porch? Then rented them the porch. I don't think, I don't think like the porch is, I've never encountered that. I've been involved with the rental of cabins in my life and never had someone rent the porch of a cabin. The porch is part of the cabin. Uh, yeah, so, um, but having said that, um, you get, uh, what is it? I said Robin Matson is one of the gals. Robin uh, Matson was a um, soap opera lady. Uh, she was in General Hospital, All My Children, and Santa Barbara, which I've never seen. I've seen the other two. Diane Harp is an interesting one because when I looked her up online, she only comes up as appearing in like a few things related to Star Trek. It's a Diane Harper, forgive me, this is Red Run Offline, an actress whose voice can be heard over subspace's radio voice in Star Trek II. Love it. Several years later, she appears as a dead Prometheus officer in the Star Trek Voyager season episode, Message in a Bottle. I don't... I, I, I guess she didn't go on with the acting. But the, the other uh, woman in this is um, uh, Anne Lockhart, who I adore. Um, she was in a ton of stuff. She's probably, as they say here, she's probably best known for Lieutenant Sheba in, in the original Battlestar Galactica. I have the original Battlestar Galactica on Blu-ray. I have that Blu-ray, that that weird Blu-ray set, which is full frame and widescreen, which is what is it? It's like 12, 13, 14, 15, It's like eighteen Blu-rays for Battlestar Galactica. Galactica 1980 and Bowser Galactica the movie and I watched that set probably twice a year alongside the Buck Rogers set um, unfortunately where I'm sitting right now during the stay at home I, I don't have and forgive me if you, uh, when you listen to this uh, this is being recorded in early May of 2020 I actually don't have the set with me so I haven't watched the Battlestar Galactica um, Buck Rogers in over month and a half but um i i do adore her and can i just say real quick before i talk about her for a little bit more uh, wh- what about the season where they're all doing their the bad they're doing their bad tunisian languages and richie is doing his bad accent i am richie ricardo and and they all sing um and they all suddenly break into rock around the clock but in like um their fake 
language and they do it perfectly which is super fun to hear because the gals are thrilled hearing these three guys sing rock around the clock in this in tunisian but it's it's funny it's it's interesting to think that um like the three of the like richie potts and ralph sat there and said okay so they may want us to sing something well, let's do rock around the clock okay well then we have to sync up exactly what we're going to say in fake tunisian and in the end of the day, in a, in a sitcom, it doesn't matter. We're on a fake cabin set on a studio. There's an audience of probably 100 people or more sitting like 20 feet away from the cabin. It doesn't really matter, but maybe it does. And, and Lockhart is in little shorts. Um, and she has nice legs. So I'm sorry. I got distracted there. So Anne Lockhart, yeah, she was in a ton of stuff. I think, uh, obviously, she's June Lockhart's... Um, daughter and uh she she was in a lot of stuff and um she was in an auto man episode i'm hope which i'm hoping to watch soon but but she's one of those actresses who like that time period in the late 70s early first half of the 80s she'd show up at least once in a tv series and you'd be like oh my gosh and um i know her best i think for um yeah, because she was in The Happy Days. She, oh, she was in Barbie Jones, Hardy Boy, Nancy Drew. Uh, she was in a Sixth Sense. She was in a can, Deadly Quiet Town. I think I've seen her in that. Yeah, she was a Project UFO. Love it. Uh, Battle Star Galactica, Chiss, da, 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 Incredible Hulk. And she was in a, um, oh, she was in a dark room. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, Tales of the Golden Monkey. Knight Rider. Okay. Well, she was in Glennie Larson put her in everything. She was in a fall guy. But the the place where I know her best from is um or or in my heart is she played the uh Lillian Pogovich, aka Pogo Lil, in two episodes of BJ and the Bear in season two of BJ and the Bear, seventy nine to eighty. She was in Pogo Lil. Uh, she's a trucker, and then she appears much later in the season um, as Pogo Lil again in the episode Fire in the Hole, where she like owns a gold mine or something like that, and some bad guys are trying to get it away from her. But she's a joy in those, and she she's absolutely delightful. And um, at the last few uh, Gallifrey conventions, the big Doctor Who conventions in Los Angeles, down at the it's at the Marriott near LAX, um, she's there. And she has a table, and she's there like Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Just and she's got all her the the various shots like from Battlestar Galactica and other places, and people come up, you know, and you give her twenty bucks. To, I I don't I haven't gone yet. You give her some money, and she signs the thing and talks to you for a couple minutes. And every time I pass by and see her, I'm like, I need to tell her I loved her as Pogo Lil. But I don't. But but the the one time I passed close enough to sort of like look out of the corner of my eye, I didn't see any Pogo Lil photos. So I was like, I don't want to go up and say, you know. But I'm sure if she continued to work in, in Night Rider and Fall Guy and such and and Auto Man, she she her and Glennie Larson kind of had a bad relationship. So it must have you know. Yeah. So so that's this is just basically me taking a minute to to rail at myself for not asking her for her autograph at the Doctor Who conventions the next year, 2021. If there is a convention, if we're able to have a convention in February, mid-February at the LAX Marriott, I'm going to go up to Ann Lockhart and say, damn it, I'm buying a couple of these photos and we're going to talk about you playing Pogo Lil for five minutes and I'm going to pull up a chair and sit down with her. Yes. 
Now, at this point, I've talked far too long about this episode, which I love, but is really kind of a silly episode, except for what I think it's actually doing. So let's say, what is it actually doing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it really quick. Look at the fact, who bookends the episode? The Fonz. In the motorcycle pulling on the driveway, sleeping in front of the porch while the guys and the gals are gone walking in the woods and he's by himself and he shushes the wildlife. What is this episode about? This is an episode about the Fonz not being able, for some reason, to get himself a place at Lake Whitefish for Easter weekend and getting these guys to get him a place. Because look at it. he They're sitting there going, oh, we don't know what to do for Easter weekend. He shows them and says, Lake Whitefish, call him. Boom. And then he shows them and is like, oh, you're going to have a great time. Go wild. Go crazy. Then he you know he shows up again and he's like, uh, and, and then he shows up at the, at the place itself and he's like, oh, and a cop shows up with him and, and he kind of, and the Fonz kind of ruins their cover by like, tell the cop who I am because the Fonz had lost his wallet in the bushes and stuff like that. But I love it because at the end, when all the guys go away with the gals, the Fonz is there by himself. Like, you going to be okay by yourself, Fonz? What are you talking about by myself? I'm the Fonz. I got, you know, Jeanette McDougal waiting, I don't know, in the, in the bushes there or something like that. But he doesn't have anyone waiting. He goes to sleep. And it's weird. It's weird because we all, we all talk about the Christmas episode where the Fonz doesn't have the family and they bring him in. And we see that. And the part of the, the point of the episode is that we don't want him to let on that we know that. This one, however, it's obvious that the Fonz doesn't have anyone for this weekend, just like Ralph, Potsy, and Richie. But he doesn't want them to know. And the episode, up until the very end, doesn't want us to know. And at the very end, the as the guys go out for a walk with the gals, and you know they'll be back soon, and and the fawn sleeping right there isn't i don't know i wonder how long i mean the fawn seems to be pretty right with everything he says in this episode so if he's taking a snooze in front of the cabin right near the porch kind of using the guy's space then he must know that they're not going to be back for a while. So he's he's resting. Maybe there is a gal in the woods and she'll be there soon. But there's something, if you watch the episode and you don't watch the guys, but you focus on Fonzie, it's one of those weird things. Like, I'll just, just an aside, um, uh, the great Amanda Reyes and myself have been doing live tweets of TV movies during the stay-at-home. And the, 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 the weekend before I'm recording this, we talked about Madam Sin with uh, Robert Wagner and uh, Betty Davis. And I'm not going to tell you what happens in the episode, if you see it, movie. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But there's sort of what seems to be happening in the movie by the end isn't quite what's happening. Um, give me a second. Maybe I can think of another example. So, so it's, it's misdirection is what it is because um, we've seen the Fonz before come in and out of episodes and I'm, I'm thinking of uh, um, the, what I previously referenced and I'm also thinking of say something like this This isn't quite it but like Irving the Explainer uh, Rockford Files from season 4 written by David Chase directed by for heaven's sake James Coburn and in that episode and, and slight spoiler they go th- uh, Rockford goes through the entire episode and there are a ton of different crazy things going on 
And there's this sort of secondary character who keeps kind of showing up and butting in. And at the very end, Rockford explains what's happening. But then you encounter that secondary character as he's dying, Irving. And he explains what's going on. And it's completely different from everything we've seen. So when you go back and watch it a second time, it's a completely different thing. It's misdirection. It's misdirection is all it is. And you get plenty of stuff like that. I, I don't want to say there, you know, there are films where you watch it one way, then you get to the end and there's a little moment where you're like, oh my gosh, and then you have to watch it again. And you're like, oh, you see things from different points of view. Now, I'm not saying this is like that. This is a wonderfully silly episode of Happy Days and I need to stop talking about it immediately because I've talked about it for far too long. But watch it from, watch it twice. Watch it from Richie Ralph and Potsy's point of view. No one is the lead character. I mean, Yes, Richie uh, gets uh, more scenes than, I mean, Ralph, you, you barely see what he gets up to with his parents. Potsy has the really sad moments where he, the moment he wants to be out of his house, his parents give him $75 and basically push him out of his house, which is may or may not become more depressing as we go along. I don't think it does, though. I, th I think what happens is Potsy will become dimmer as the show goes along and his parents become more depressing. And and Richie has... The, the funniest moment in the episode is the moment with Mr. C when Richie says to his dad, do you remember the first time you and your friends got to get together and go, like go away together without any you know adult supervision? I won't say the rest of the joke, but it's the funniest joke in the episode. But having said that, they, they seem to be the lead characters. But watch the Fonz. Focus on the Fonz. And now I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to take you to an episode called Fonzie's New Friend. You can focus on the Fonz if you want in this one. Uh, but this is the week later, November 25th, 1975, right around Thanksgiving. This would have been my third Thanksgiving I was hungry. Um, and let, let me play you this, and uh, we will come back and discuss Fonzie's new friend. Fonzie's New Friend, aired November 25th, 1975. Happy Thanksgiving-ish, everyone. Written by Sid Arthur and Artie Lang, directed by Jerry Paris. In this one, the the band, uh, Richie Potts and Ralph's uh, band, are welcoming in Hawaii, which um, became a part of the Union August 21st, 1959. And March of 59, I think, was when Congress said, you could be part of the Union. So I guess we are in 1959. Having said that earlier in the episode, we definitely, I guess, are here. Um... They need a drummer. 
for their band and the Fonz has met a guy who's new in town and who, who came into the 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 the, uh, the uh, uh, body shop auto repair shop where he works and um, he's a drummer his name is Sticks, and he's going to drum for uh, the band at the Luau party at the Cunninghams that's awesome except for one thing Sticks is black he's an African American gentleman or He's a Negro, which is a word I've never said before, and I apologize for saying that. But that's the last—that's the first and last time I'll be saying that. The, uh, uh, but that's that's the way they refer to him throughout the episode. He's he's a black guy, and um, and so everyone's like, oh gosh, oh dear, oh yes, and well, mostly everyone is. The Fonz isn't. Richie Ralph and Patsy are for a moment. I don't think Mister C is. I mean, because we've had the episode in the first season with his army buddy. Who gets married at the house? And we'll talk about that episode briefly, um, but we talked about that episode a lot when we talked about that episode. So I, I don't want to go too deep into that here. But yeah, so there's trouble with you know Sticks. Sticks needs a date, and he gets a date with a gal, and the, you know the gal's mom shows up. She got a bit of an Ann Astor feel to her. Uh, not that the the date the the um, the uh, the mom. Uh, I think Kathleen is her name. I think um, and. Uh, I believe so, and they, you know, they're going to show up, but but they learn sort of the Fonz learns that none of the white kids are going to show up because there's going to be a black guy there playing drums and a black gal there, and the white kids are not into it, or or we learn that parents say no, and um and that actually happens. Um, they don't show up at the party, but they play anyways, and Arnold shows up and. Fonzie dances with Kathleen, and the band plays, and Mr. C and Mrs. C dance, and and um, Joni dances with herself, uh, with Arnold, or does Mr. C? I don't know, but but it's yeah, it's one of those things where um you know as Mr. C says, prejudice is stronger than cool, and um it's sort of it's not really a lesson on prejudice. It's just it's 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 an okay episode. That, I mean, we've been here before. We were here in the first season, and in the first season, it was very much adults and like, um, uh, uh, like jackass older white people coming in. Mm, really, you're going to do this here in our neighborhood? And and Mrs. C, I think in Mrs. C in that one, she she's like she admits that yeah, she's kind of prejudiced, but she working on trying to not be that way as, as best she can and mr c is fine with it and everyone else is fine with it even chuck i don't remember if chuck's in the episode but probably not but um and and then it, it ends up being a wonderfully silly episode because it becomes uh, it, it starts off with sort of a racial thing but then it becomes about the the groom having uh getting cold feet and <laughs> becoming rather silly uh i went into um, sort of the racial politics of the time. I'm I'm no expert. I'm not. I'm some just some dumb Polish guy. I'm not uh, the expert on this, um, but I did discuss it a bit when we discussed uh, that episode. That's the best man, by the way. I'm not going to go too deep into that here because I already discussed that. Um, but I will try to. For you, I got a bit of a, a stuffy nose during this this half of the recording here. Um, but I, I will be going into the episode itself. So yeah, they, they don't treat sticks very nice. And in fact, it's weird. One of the things about having a, a live audience there. Now, now I, I saw this kind of thing with like laugh tracks in. Say like, um, like I'm, I'm writing a book. Well, actually, the book is done. I'm, I'm doing the final revision, hopefully self-publishing it in a few months. A book on the Henning verse. 
Beverly Hillbillies, Petticoat Junction, Green Acres. I've mentioned it before. And there I talk about one of the weird things about laugh tracks is that you'll get like, you know, Homer Bedlow and Petticoat Junction who's like, he'll have, my plan is I'm going to flood the Hooterville Valley and everything in Hooterville Valley, including the Shady Rest Hotel, will be underwater. And if they don't get out of there in time, ah, forget about it. I don't care. I just want them out of here. I don't want this here. This, that, and the other. And it's terrible. This is absolutely terrible way to talk. He's he's a terrible person. But the laugh track goes and goes and goes. It's like that thing I've said before, like like during very special episodes, of like different strokes when horrible things are happening. But the laugh track, the the audience or the laugh track has to be going at some time. In the best man, when people are being like like there's a scene with an old lady. Or, or the scene with Mrs. C, where she's like, oh my gosh, you know, I am prejudiced. The laugh track isn't in hysterics when she's doing that. But here, there's a scene with two gals, one of whom is, plays a character named Lois, and she's in a cheerleader outfit. She would be in, I believe, Eat My Dust with Ron Howard a year later. But she is the, um, is it Mary Lou? What the heck's her name? She's the gal from um, All the Way. The very first episode of the show. The one who, you know, who, who Richie reads to and he makes out with and that kind of thing. But she's in this one with a kind of nerdy friend who, you know, she's, you know, um, Lois is going to go on uh, to the party, uh, Richie's date. But the other gal, you know, she doesn't want to be set up with a joke date, she says, like a four-year-old or anything. And then a black guy shows up. And it's like, you, uh, what is it? I wrote down the, oh, oh, when, um. When Lois and her friends see that Styx is an African-American gentleman, uh, as they're leaving an absolute, absolute uproar. And, yeah, I guess this was 1959, but you can, you can, you can shove that. Um, absolute uproar. But, of course, this was obviously not 1959. This was, this was made in 1975. Uh, you get um, the Lois character says, oh, you're not very nice to Richie. It's like, whoa, that's... Um, that's an awful thing to say, and the way the white kids in I I, I love I love it because because you know um so, someone someone said uh, I read someone at one point when I was mentioning that I was I was covering Happy Days someone said where's the episode where where the Fonz um, stops all racism I said I think that's much later in the series there's an episode where they go down south him and him and Al go down south. Um, but of course, he doesn't stop all racism. He's just he, well, we'll talk. That's a long time from now. Um, but in, but in this one, it's funny because I, I I love the Fonz here because and I have an addendum to the previous episode, Three on a Porch, which will come at, at the end of the episode, and I need to write that down. Addendum. But I love the fact here that when the Fonz hears that the white kids won't go to the party. He storms into Arnold's and demands, and he shuts everything down, and he demands that they go to the party. And then once he leaves, that guy from the demons, I forget what his name is, I, you, you remember him, when um, uh, uh, he was in the Halloween episode, uh, he was in the cruising episode, he's the one who um, uh, makes the bet with the guys that they're not going to have a date by a certain time. I forget his name, and, and frankly, after seeing him in this... I don't care. So he's the guy in the demons um, bug bag. Is it bag? I don't. I don't. Who cares? And but he has a moment where after Fonz leaves, he's like, um, you know, the Fonz says, "Who's going to come to the party?" And everyone raises their hands. All right. And and he says something like, uh, "Whose parents told them not to go to the party?" And everyone raises their hands. Okay. And who's not going to go to the party? You know. And it's like, ooh, yeah. So it's the um, 
I mean, again, it seems to be the, I was going to say it seems to be more of the parents' prejudice, which um, uh, extends from the best man. But the way Lois and her friend act in the beginning um, is their prejudice. Uh, and possibly, you know, passed down from the parents, certainly, I, I would imagine in some ways. But that's them reacting. And the fact that none of them will go to this party because Sticks and, I believe, Kathleen. I'm sorry, Kathleen, I didn't write down your name. I'm horrible. Uh, but um, Sticks' date won't be there, will will be there, and so they won't be as awful. And, in, you know, it ends, obviously, with them not being there. And it's kind of a... um. I guess it's a victory in a way. Um, it, it's funny. It's a weird thing because it ends like it's a victory for the Cunninghams, I guess. But the thing about it is it's a redundant victory because they had a wedding there. Because Well, because this is all white people, except for Arnold, who's Asian, and, um, and, and Sticks and his gal, who are African-American. But everyone else is white. Well, everyone else, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, eight, nine, ten, seven of the ten people are white. But the thing about the best man was that everyone there, except for the, the four basic Cunninghams, I don't remember Chuck being there, were, was the Fonz there? I don't think so. It was just the four of them. I know Potsy and Ralph weren't there. They, you know, everyone was African-American and there was only the four white, it was only Cunninghams who were, who were the white people there. And so that seems like more of a victory to me than this one. This seems a little hollow. Um, however, it also seems very much like this could have been any episode of sort of like a Norman Lear sitcom of the time. The best man did not. It felt like it was going its own way. This feels like uh, like it could have been a Norman Lear with the references to like, you know, the white guys constantly being like, oh, do you play basketball? Oh, you like fried chicken? And, and Sticks being like, oh, we're going to talk about watermelon next. You know, it's like, oof, yeah. Okay, I, I get it. I get it. Um, but this, this was a time, if you watch the sitcoms from that time, they're whether it be on the family, whether it be Jefferson's, whether it be Sanford and Son, Maud, whatever, they're they're much sort of rougher, as it were, than you would imagine. Nowadays, through political correctness, you wouldn't get a lot of stuff that they did in those sitcoms back then. Which I guess they, they were they were breaking new ground. I I personally I think I've said before, I don't find a lot of them particularly funny, but a lot of people do. Happy Days, like I said, is, is probably one of the ones I find funniest, along with like Laverne and Shirley, and in some, in some, here and there, Bob Newhart and such. But I've, I've talked about that before. Um, yeah, I, I guess is the episode any good? Um, it's okay. I like Sticks. Um, Sticks is played by a gentleman named John Bailey, who was an actor who was apparently he did some porn uh, in the eighties. I, I guess he did some actual acting in it, and then he did some acting. In it, they you know, and and take that as you will. I I, I realize I know him best from um, uh, Kentucky Fried Movie. He's in the Wonderful World of Sex sequence, which always makes me laugh. P forgive me, premature ejaculation. It's uh, it's <laughs> it's a hilarious scene in a hilarious movie, and it's him in it. And I didn't realize it's like, oh, it's Stex. Oh my gosh, great movie, directed by John Landis, written by Zucker Abram Zucker. Super fun. Lots of great um, actors in it. Very funny movie, I think. Um, but yeah, he's in that, and he's I believe he's in at least one more episode of Happy Days. And um, yeah, it's... Um, 
it's 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 an okay episode. I mean, I do like the thing with the Fonz, where the Fonz truly believes that just being cool is enough. Uh, which kinds of to, to to me like we talked about I think earlier in the season the fact that some time ago the Fonz didn't seem to be particularly cool and then somewhere along the way when we see him at the beginning of the series he's like becoming enmeshed enmeshed and he's embraced and wrapped up in in the cool and now he's super cool and we'll talk about a super cool thing in the addenda which we'll do in a moment. But I love the fact that he he like he's so cool that he believes that he doesn't quite understand fully the way it works that life isn't cool. Well, it's not always cool. Sometimes it's cool. Life isn't cool, and so he his absolute amazement at the fact that the the white kids and Arnold's didn't listen to him and are not coming to the party because of their parents just just blows his mind you know and like I said as as Mrs. C said prejudice is stronger than cool and it's just it's an interesting moment which is slightly underplayed Uh, now I know what you're saying Dan nothing is underplayed in happy days at this time nothing is underplayed in sitcoms in front of audiences at this time well, it is slightly underplayed. Uh, I, th- I think it is. Um, because it's sort of like if we're laying down the groundwork for what the Fonz can do. Again, addendum. Stay, stay tuned. Addenda. Uh, addenda. Um, if we're laying down the ground rules for what is cool and what cool can do. I like prejudice is stronger than cool. Which is is something which is like you know when they say when someone says so when does what's that episode where the Fonz defeats racism? Well, that that would be if the Fonz is the personification of cool, then he would need to get to that point. He does have a lovely chat with um, oh my gosh, Kathleen the the dates um her mom, which is fun. Like I said, she has a bit of an Ann Astor feel to her, introducing her to self to Mister Mrs C and and uh, talking to the Fonz and the pointing at all the Fonz's photos in his uh in, you know in his uh over the garage apartment and yeah, it's it's not a bad episode in any way. It it trod similar ground to what was done in the Best Man. In the best man, the Fonz is sort of outside of it, just kind of leaning in, like bringing in chairs and things. And this one, he's kind of in the midst of it. Like, what are you doing to my friend? This is my friend. Don't treat him like this. And Mr. C's kind of, and that's Mr. C and the Fonz, they learn from one another, you know, as they go. You know, Howard's 45th fiasco, you know, Howard learned from the Fonz, and this one, the Fonz learns from Howard. And um, that's the way the show kind of goes along. That's the way the show is going to go along. Um, uh, yeah, hopefully Sticks will be back. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm trying not to cover ground that I covered in The Best Man. I, I fear I have done some of that. The, the episode has some laughs in it. I think it's a bit strained. Like I said, the, the victory in the end to me feels a bit of a hollow victory. Because um, they haven't... The, the, the people who are at the party are the people who are... Uh, whose minds didn't more or less didn't need to be changed so so you haven't like if there if there was one person or two people that came in at the end and i was like you know my parents told me not to come i told them i was going to arnold's um i hope they don't go to arnold's because arnold's right here but i i wanted to come anyways and i'm, I'm sorry that i that i wasn't going to come if there was just one person who did that then i think 
there would be more to the ending. But as it stands, it's a victory for the people in a way who who were already there. If, if this were the first episode in a series of episodes like this, then this would sort of be the, the first episode or the prologue or the intro to this, sort of destroying the prejudice in this, this suburb of Milwaukee. But as far as I know, it's not. And so it ends up just feeling... Self-serving isn't quite the word, because we already knew that the Cunninghams were were fine, were fine, were were decent people. And Mrs. C, of course, had her troubles, but but you know, Joni and Richie and Mrs. C were fine with it, and and we knew that the Fonz was fine, and Ralph and Potsy, after a moment or two of of confusion, seemed to be okay, and Arnold obviously obviously is fine, yeah, um, but. Yeah, it ends up it ends up feeling weird. I'm just gonna, I'm just going to stop talking here because I think I'm going a bit in circles here, just trying to get a little more out of the episode than I can pull out of it. But um, I mean, I guess in the the you know Stick spends the time saying that he doesn't have very, very many friends. He's new in town, so they are his friends now, and that's good. And you build from there. But um, yeah, the, the yeah the not actually being able to convince anyone with the prejudiced parents or the prejudiced white kids to come to this big party is um, is a little tricky for me in the end. But I will stop there. So this is, uh, this is another episode of this thing. Hey, we're halfway through season two, everybody. We got 12 more episodes of season two. Uh, what do we got next time? We have, uh, we are in December. Hey, sadly, no Christmas episode this season. Maybe next season. They, this is uh, next time is they call it Potsy Love and tell it to the Marines. And then, oh, and then we hop to 1976, yeah. And we get some mislabeling in the DVD dates, but that's okay. So, so that is uh, uh, episode uh, six of season three of Rockin' All Week with you, a Happy Days podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And um, there's going to be an addendum in a moment. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all done with this. Um, yeah, prejudice is stronger than cool. That's, that's too bad. That's, um, that, that's... Because the way we're seeing the fonts is he's getting cooler and cooler. He can do more and more stuff. But there's something that he cannot counteract. And um, we'll have to see how they deal with that. So... Uh, my name's Dan. Uh, you can get in touch with me at Danny Slacks, D-A-N-N-Y-S-L-A-C-K-S at yahoo.com. E-Supertrain1 over on Adventure Supertrain at Facebook, eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com. Just give me a shout. You know, it's it's fun. We'll 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 talk again soon. Episode 7 will go up. Some Potsy Love and some whatever the heck I said the next episode was. Probably something great. Tell it to the Marines. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Here's a bit of this. Gray sky, hello blue. There's nothing can hold me when I hold you. So right, you can't be wrong. Rockin' and rollin' all week long. Addendum. This is uh, to uh, Three on a Porch, the ending of the Three on a Porch. Now, I said that if you watch the episode from the point of view of the Fonz, getting the guys to get him a space where he can spend the weekend, then it it's it's very interesting viewing. But there's a moment in the end where the guys go out with the gals walking and the Fonz is resting. 
and he he's on asleep on the porch and it, he acts like he has a date but he doesn't really seem to have a date which is a little odd like the Fonz is alone um i actually personally don't think he's alone i think he's the date is either coming later on or will be there tomorrow and he just needs a place there to rest and that's why he engineered everything but he's there, and you just see like stock footage of all these different animals making noise, and the Fonz just kind of rises up like Dracula. Cool it! Everyone shuts up, kind of nods, and goes back down, and the audience breaks into hysterics and applause, and the episode ends. I've said before that I think the, the Fonz is some sort of superhero. Have I? I, th- I feel like I have. Because if you watch the Fonz, he goes, like, here's the thing. That's a complaint that people have. Oh, it becomes the Fonzie show. Oh, the, they make the Fonz superhuman. So what? That's what it is. If, if you don't like it, stop watching it. You know, it's. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's pretty hilarious that we look look at it like like almost like look, look at the way the Fonz has been treating Richie throughout this season and some of the last season too. Almost like he's sort of like a guardian angel or something like that, watching over this dumb kid, but also getting a little bit of when he needs to, and I love it. I I this is sort of the first because he has a thing, you know, he hits the jukebox, he hits the pinball machines, etc., etc., and that's that's fine. But this is like a moment where he silences nature because he needs to sleep. That's superhuman. That's the Fonz. And I've, I've said this before, and I will leave this hanging there, but I I have firmly believed that the Fonz is the doctor from Doctor Who when he, she, has finally retired. You know, because they, they say back in the day when Douglas Adams was script editor, he wanted to do like a two-part story where the doctor basically says, I'm done and retires. I would have loved to have seen that episode, and they never did it. But I love I love the thought that maybe the Fonz is just retiring. Why he chose this space, I don't know. Maybe he's a Marlon Brando fan, a James Dean fan. We, we, we don't know that from him or her. We know that she loves uh, the, the Earth. Maybe preferably the UK. And, and I know in like the fiction and stuff, the books and things, uh, he has a home like somewhere in the countryside of, of uh, in, in the UK. But I love the thought that she settles down in a final regeneration as a sort of greaser, maybe, maybe, um, maybe it's something where like memory has been erased. I like the Burning, the novel, the Burning, not the the Miramax film, the Burning, the the Doctor Who novel, the Burning, and memory is gone. And then gradually, as the Doctor is there more and more, she he is discovering what she he he she what he is. He's the Fonz. And he's the doctor, and he's superhuman. Now, this could all be nonsense, and I'll talk more about this as we go along. But that's one of the things I always thought. One of the fun things with the Fonz is that if you can make the Fonz a true sort of superhero-ish, or whatever the doctor is, then it's fun. But it doesn't have to be, but um, fun. So, yeah, just just keep an eye. I think this is that moment quieting the wildlife is the first sort of real superhuman thing the Fonz does. And water skiing over a shark is not a superhuman thing because that other guy was going to do it too. So, so that's just the thing that happens. So let's keep an eye on that and let's just end.